Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. I hear the train a coming, it's rolling around a bend. And I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. I'm stuck in Folsom Prison, and time keeps dragging on. But that train keeps rolling on down the side. Four NFL teams, two conference championship games, and only a few more shots to win big on the playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Counting down to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Not a new customer? You can feel the conference championship thrills with stepped-up same-game parlays. Take your shot at an even bigger NFL payout and boost your winnings with each leg you add up to 100%. Speaking of same-game parlays, I'm actually going to get into a little bit of that action myself. I'm looking at the Bengals-Chiefs game. It's very interesting uh, with Patrick Mahomes potentially, a, well, not potentially injured. He's definitely injured, and uh, we're going to see how he plays. But I'm feeling the Chiefs are still going to step up and win. As of right now, they are plus one and a half at home. That Mahomes injury is interesting to the bookmakers. So I'm going Chiefs plus one and a half. I'm also going Jarrett McKinnon, anytime touchdown scorer, and Hayden Hurst, anytime touchdown scorer. Now, it's going to be interesting, and I know that's you know that's a lot to throw in. That's plus 1,700 on DraftKings, but when it comes to DraftKings, it's the best. And Chiefs Bengals, that's what I that's what I want to want to uh, get some money on. So I'm going that um, just to cover that again. Plus 1,700 Chiefs plus one and a half. Jarek McKinnon and Hayden Hurst. Both anytime touchdown scores. So, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code TPPN. New customers can bet just $5 on the conference championship games and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TPPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, here we go. Primetime Titans. I am JG. This is Pettit. And this is Robert. And we are here with our first uh, first edition, first episode of our new off-season fun segment called OnlyFans, where we're, we're OnlyFans. And we have uh, a special guest with us, Michael Brown, and uh, he is uh, kin to Robert. He is Robert's cousin, and um, we're, we're just going to go through some questions we're going to do this this is a new series we're a fun off-season idea where we're going to go through with different fans we're only fans and we're going to go through certain questions with each person and just get their take really on you know they'll explain their titans fandom but they'll also talk about the year themselves we want to hear from other people we don't we, you know i y'all probably get tired of hearing me and pettit and robert talk about the titans so we want to bring some other people on and hear what they thought about the season. So, uh, Michael, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thanks for joining and thanks for being on. Uh, we're going to start out with, um, you know, we just want to hear from you how you're a Titans fan, when it started, um, and how long you've been a Titans fan, and just kind of just get into it. So I'll I'll, uh, I'll let you take it from here. Yeah. 
Well, I became a Titans fan like so many with the double whammy of a 1998 University of Tennessee national title that then just parlayed right into an amazing 99 season with the Titans. We had Javon Curse as a rookie. And to give you a little background, I wasn't even a football fan, period, before this. It was really that Vol season that kind of got me into it a little bit. And then, man, we went right to the NFL and my mom, bless her heart, has been a PSL single season ticket holder. She goes by wow. herself. And this is, she just canceled because she's now 78. And, you know, she's had some interesting times, not this season, but last season, specifically the Bengals playoff game. She got oh. trampled out in the concourse by, oh my gosh. Yeah, by some drunk Bengals fans. God, another reason to not like the Bengals. Yeah. So, oh, wow. Just saying, Mom Brown rubbed off a little bit. But I've been a huge Titans fan. I've been, you know, following and probably spending way too much of my my time uh, following <laughs> <laughs> the exploits of our our roller coaster ride of a so team. So do we. So it's okay. So first question we have for you. These are going to be some quick hitters. Favorite Titans memory. Okay, so my favorite Titans memory, actually, because it's that first season, goes to the, it is the Music City Miracle. I was taking down the Christmas lights at my mom's house. I was a freshman in college, and I was, at that point, there's no streaming, there's no smartphones, there's no cell phones. It's, you know, I, I think it was, we had just turned into 2000, year 2000 at that point. So I was running indoors, running through the house to go see the plays happen and then at commercial breaks so I'd run back outside and after uh, Music City Miracle happened I ran back outside and every single person on my mom's street ran out into the street. And That's we were awesome. Celebrating together. That's incredible. Alright. Second question. Favorite all-time Titans player? This is going to be polarizing because this is my favorite player for a number of reasons uh, but there's going to be a, a, I would say, an army of fans from other teams that are just going to boo this. But my favorite player is Hainsworth. Ooh. Wow. Wow. That's, that's what's, what's the reasoning behind that? Well, Hainsworth as a Titan was just the most insanely dominating D-tackle that, that we've seen. And there were just games where you would, even the double team, like, and this, this is stuff you still don't even see uh, Big Jeff doing, is like, you take on the double team and he'd bull rush them both. I mean, it was 100%. That that 08 season was absolute insanity. And I have a soft spot because while I was a student at MTSU, Hainsworth was dating some girl at MTSU and there were many times where if we didn't have enough money to uh, to go to pay one of the the pay billiards tables, there was this open pool table at this apartment complex right off the campus and so many times we walk into that common room and there's Hainsworth playing pool and this is like he's just, you know this is 2002 2003 so he's a rookie and then his second year and you're like what in the world <laughs> this massive massive man big guy <laughs> big guy playing so there's a little bit of a what did you what did you think about the face stomp on the Cowboys right I think it was his right guard number 70 was his last name Giroux what was his first name Andrew, Andre and yeah, Andre yeah. Gerard, 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 something, something like that. that. Uh, it was pretty classless, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of things as as fans that we don't see. If somebody's like diving at your knees, isn't that equally as classless? It's just we don't 
you know, there's a lot, lot of, th- <laughs> lot of, lot of things that happen. In I don't terms know about of equal, but <laughs> <laughs> did uh, you consider donating a kidney? If he would have asked me if I were a match, I would have gone <laughs> done the tests. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next question. Um, this is this is overall. What is something you love and something you hate about being a Titans fan? Oh man, well. What I love is also what I hate, and that is that we get absolutely no airtime, no respect, no love, no analysis, no thought when it comes to any kind of critical reporting when it comes to the Titans on a national level. Uh, you're going to get the quick Google search that everybody can do, whatever those hits are going to be. Those are the, the, the key targets that national media will, will key upon, unless they're being assigned to the, that game that week. Yeah, I uh, I actually was listening to a podcast today and I told Robert and Pettit about this, but it's actually already an NFL draft podcast. So yes, I'm already diving in and I'm starting to learn some things uh, about the draft. How many year. mock drafts have you done? Uh, I haven't done any mock drafts yeah. yet, but the, it's funny that you asked that because the episode of that I was listening to today was a mock draft episode and it's the um, it's on CBS. It's called with the first pick and it's uh, I think Ryan Wilson is his name or something, but he has the old, Vikings GM with him Rick Spielman on he's the one who drafted like Justin Jefferson he was there for a long time at the Vikings but anyways they had two other guys that were they were rotating doing picks for the mock draft and for the Titans they mocked uh, us at 11 picking a linebacker which Trenton Simpson or something I don't know why but they started talking about how we had lost some linebackers from the last couple years yeah and they said Jayon Smith Instead of Jay on Brown. It's like just a little thing like that. Like just come on. He's not even I don't know. He was a good Titan. Like Jay on Brown was a was a really good Titan. You just don't even know his name. You're you're saying that's that's an example of us getting overlooked in the media, like all the time. I think exactly great uh, great example is when they used to always say Bayard. Yeah, Bayard. Bayard. Kevin Bayard. I mean, um, they've they've solved that by now, I think. Yeah, I, I, just, I haven't heard that in a while. I just, it's I just he's become very a big enough name. Okay, so how is that also your favorite thing about being a Titans fan? It's my favorite because it's also just an instant filter to know if anybody is actually following us oh, and if their opinion yeah. is worthwhile. And I think a lot of the, like Good Morning Football for a while. Uh, for a while, was it Pete Schrager? That yep. guy and Kyle Brandt. Mm-hmm. He was Love definitely him. actually watching Titans games. They're like, all right, I can listen to you. Uh, when it comes to Skip Bayless and you know all these other people, it's like it becomes very clear and filters in <laughs> like you just did a quick search and you're not following anything that's happening with this team. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I that's actually I love that the I, and I actually have not thought about that like if you you just hear something right off the bat that you just you're like all right well I don't think you're credible uh, to listen to when it comes to the Titans. So it's a great point. Um, so. This could be current, you know, just anything. But what's your hottest take as a Titans fan? What is, you know, Robert will make some hot takes sometimes. I'll make some hot takes. I had a very hot take last year that A.J. Brown was going to have like 16, 1,700 yards, and he very much did not have that. Just stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, but this year, though, almost. Yeah, yeah. For <laughs> not the Tennessee Titans. You also said Julio was going to have like a 1,000. Yeah, I said they would combine. For and a lot. and uh, 
Who was it? Chester Rogers. I said Chester Rogers would have two uh, return touchdowns last year <laughs> or wow. something like that. Yeah, I think almost every just, prediction you had was wrong. Yeah, so maybe – yeah, I'm just not great with those. But I want to hear from you, Michael. What is a – you know, one of your hottest takes as here's, a Titans Here's fan? my hot take, and it's going to be a line in the sand for so many. Uh, unless there is a dramatic philosophy change, Mike Rabel will never get past the AFC championship game as a head coach. Whoa. Okay. I want to get into that a lot more after we get through these questions because uh, you you're very well-researched. We've had a lot of conversations. You're a very well-researched and knowledgeable Titans fan. So I want to – I know you have, there's a lot behind that statement that I want to get into a little bit later. Before we move on, though, to the next question, I just – for the record – uh, I don't like that hottest take. <laughs> Just putting it out there, but we'll go to the next question. Okay, next question. This is getting more current. Thoughts on the season. Use one word or phrase to describe the tw 2022 Tennessee Titans. Man, I was going to give you my thoughts on the season, but I injured my tongue, so <laughs> going to... I loved the take. It was a great take. I actually love it. Oh, <laughs> uh, what a frustration and a uh, disappointment. Uh, that gosh, let's let's dig deep here to the adjectives and the. Uh, I think the this is a perfect season of what could have been. Um, we had roller coaster rides, and even past the midway point in the season, I think everybody we were on a huge high coming off that Packers game and it was like you know this is it's just happening again doesn't matter throw every injury you got just throw it out at and we're going to take it and we're we're just going to keep winning uh but then reality set in and I think there was a lot of uh self-inflicted wounds both coaching and uh organization and uh and ownership as well all right so our last question and this is we're just going to kind of give you the floor okay so you tell us you can you can dive into, you know maybe what's gone wrong. You can dive into what's gone right. You can you can analyze front office players. You take it where you want to go. But what needs to happen for the Titans going forward in order to win a Super Bowl? Well, the ground you know breaking news of of this week, which has already happened, is you know we just signed a new GM, Rand Carthon. And that's the first step, I think, is we need more outside brains feeding in because I think there was a critical uh, failure of collaboration and that's clear from the, the press conferences that's been happening in terms of John Robinson being fired as that, that word kept coming up. And usually in the business world, if you're an executive, you're usually specifically looking for a trait that that corrects what you were previously deficient in and I think in Amy's letter or whatever collaboration was brought up four times but I think John Robinson and Mike Vrabel both suffer from smartest guy in the room syndrome which is I think they both uh, were inflated over success of, for whichever reason it was and it just so happens that John Robinson was elevated to football czar status and he could preside and oversee you know and, and run amok, and probably what realistically needed to happen is a more of a, uh, a level playing field so that there's checks and balances. So I think importantly in that having outside opinions and having outside people, specifically Rand coming from the 49ers, is good to balance because I think 
Mike Vrabel also suffers from that same ailment. Yeah, you were saying, like, unless there's a philosophy change, you don't think Vrabel can get past the AFC Championship. Like, that. I think, is that, I guess, the new, like, outside hire of a GM? Would you say that's a good direction toward a philosophy change, or is there still more to Vrabel? I know I kind of brought that back up. No, but. no, it's okay. Um, I think this offensive coordinator hire is going to be huge for Mike Vrabel. Um, I think... In the past, if you look at all of the coordinators under Vrabel, there's been a lot of misses. Uh, in my opinion, more misses than there are hits. Um, you can't say LaFleur was his hire because LaFleur was 1B to Mike Vrabel's 1A in the head coach interviews, and Robinson made him take on LaFleur as part of the deal. Uh, LaFleur handpicked Arthur Smith upon his leaving, and Vrabel put him up, and that was a great hire. Turned out Art Smith was 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 right. Todd Downing after that was a total disaster, and you got to say that was probably one of the the biggest coaching blunders of the of the entire season in terms of the the Titans goes. Um, on the defensive coordinator side, Dean Pease was great. Mike Vrabel's uh, record in the playoffs with Dean Pease as a coordinator is two and zero. Mike Vrabel's record without Dean Pease as a coordinator is zero and three. And that goes back to the hotly contested whether or not whatever happened in the AFC Championship game. I, I prefer to believe a former player going on the record and throwing his neck out there and saying that Dean Pease was had his duties taken away from him in that game, and that Vrabel actually called all the plays. And and we can, can also can, debate whether it mattered. You can, going against Patrick Mahomes. You can. I'm just. I'm just saying. After that. We had the wonderful 2020 season where Vrabel decided to be his own coordinator or not uh, not name a yeah. coordinator. That was a horrible coordinator decision. Yeah, that was a terrible, After terrible decision. We couldn't stop anyone on third down. Yeah, and that's – and honestly, so and, – and sorry, we're going to be jumping around here a little bit. Do because, it. Go man, for there it. there are just so many points to talk about. But in these past two seasons, we want to focus on, you know, injuries this season and injuries last season. The injuries didn't start. These two seasons, injuries started in that 2020 season. If every if recency has completely, you know, has has numbed us from the memories, but the back end of our defense was completely obliterated from injuries in that 2020 season. So this injury problem that's going on, it's not a two-year anomaly; it's a three-year anomaly, and we're going into year four of it. Um, it just so happens that you know now it's everybody's been paying attention and and really taking note but yeah that's when you go into you know the job of a gm i think is incredibly uh difficult because everybody will remember your mistakes and then all of your good moves are just you know brushed under the rug and and it's not brought up as much unless it's just an absolute like swing and a home run of something that grabbed headlines i.e a trade or something that that makes makes everybody talk about you know this this move that you made um but i look at where we were after that 2020 season and vrabel's decision of being the coordinator and it was very clear that we went from having you know a, a middle of the road offense when vrabel took over and i think in that 2020 season our offense was the fourth ranked offense so it was very clear with having a, a pretty much close to league worst defense that you're going to have to steal assets from the offense so that you can build up the defense. 
And that's exactly what happened. We let John, uh, Jack Conklin go. And, you know, there was this wonderful, magical $12 million salary cap hole that lasted through the entire offseason, throughout training camp. And then, lo and behold, we signed Clowney on a one-year deal for $12 million, which, same thing, you can, this is, you know, many hot takes thrown in there. It's if 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 I were a betting man, I, I would bet Clowney had told, you know, Vrabel and everybody before the season, I ain't coming to camp, save the money. Otherwise... Why in the world would you not sign your right tackle that you traded a second and a third and you moved up four to do? I'm uh, just uh, this is incredible right now because they're, you're making incredible points. I They are, you know, like they're great theories. And I honestly have, it's one. Of, it's what I feel like the, a lot of the things you're bringing up are certain uh, ideas or, or takes, if you want to call them. They're kind of like, oh, wow. They make you think, basically. I'm kind of over here scratching my head thinking like, yeah, you're probably right. Clowney probably knew he was going to be a Titan for a while and just didn't want to go to camp, and then we finally signed him. So, like, when we did sign Clowney, were you happy about it, or were you just like, yeah? Oh, yeah. Well, I was happy about it. What I wasn't happy about was the fact that clearly— and the other thing that lets me know that maybe they kind of knew what was going on is I do think Robinson panicked, and I think in March— you know, he's basically saying, are you crazy? We're going to take some guy's word that he's just going to sit out camp and, you know, not get the heat. So I think he panicked and he signed Vic Beasley. And forgot, was, forgot about Vic Beasley. And he didn't want to play football. Oh, man. So he panicked. The man that didn't want to play football. Now, again, I'm, you know, we're just, I'm, give, I'm giving you guys hot takes. I'm giving you a fountain of hot takes. So grab a pitcher and let's, let's fill it up. But if you look at it and you start to, and with the gift of hindsight, and you start looking through it all, it all starts to make so much sense. And it's like your number one goal in the offseason is to fix the pass rush. Your number one piece to fix the pass rush is very clear with the coach that he's already buddy buddies with. That was his position coach at the former team that he just left. Uh, what are you going to do? You know, you're the guy's basically saying he's like, you know, and he's had injury history. So of course you're not going to, you know, you're not and gonna. effort questions throughout his whole career. So it's like as a GM, what you're going to say, what, like, like that's, that's what I'm gambling on. Of course you're going to, you're going to, you're going to hedge and you sign Vic Beasley and you probably don't want to, but that's why it's, and if you look at the timings of it, it's like signing Vic in, in March uh, in a, I don't, it's not, wasn't, it didn't appear at least that it was like a priority signing right at the time, but I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things inside of it. And this ultimately doesn't even go back to the philosophy that I'm talking about, I think. Um, but kind of moving forward in this progression of it, it was finally when Vrabel let go again and kind of handed over to Shane Bowen and Schwartz came over. And the beginning of this that 2021 season, half, the first, I, I don't even remember what game number the Rams game was, but it was basically a before and after that Rams game. Because before that Rams game, we our defense was still struggling we we had all of the pieces that we would later reflect on as being an elite defensive line but it wasn't until that rams game where we really started to see wide nine concepts and we're like oh my gosh this is finally seeing some some schwartz in here that the defense really took the next step because it was really it's the innovativeness of the disruption of 
the the defensive line working then with the coverage schemes that Bowen later did on the back end that really made that defense special. And if there's any one group over the past two seasons you could even point to and say is an elite group in the NFL, it would be our D-line. And that's definitely we, – we specifically shifted – and took away the strengths of our offense so that we could build the strengths on those defense to compensate for it. And it's partially the the notion of the second that we paid Tannehill and Henry, that was basically like, well, that's our commitment to the offense right there. You know, everything else has got to shift over to this other side of the ball. So sorry, I'm jumping I'm jumping around a little bit, but just trying to get trying to just to paint the picture of a lot of the things that set us up now because there are a lot of moves that are made that now look horrible, but the the causation that led to Robinson making them I think made sense for the trajectory of how they thought this team was going to go. Okay, I have a couple questions. I want to go I'm going to give you some names of players and I want to know I want to hear if you think that's a Vrabel decision or a J-Rob decision over the last however many five years, Zach Cunningham. Oh, I think that was definitely a Vrabel decision. Do you think he sticks around? No, he's gone. Um, paying Harold Landry. Um, I think that was a group group decision. I think he's actually the most versatile player on the defensive line, and I think he was pretty indispensable for what he does in that versatility. Going and getting Ryan Tannehill. Uh, I think that was 100% John Robinson. Jack Conklin. 100% John Robinson. Can we also point out, because this is very pertinent to this season, that the year that John Robinson took over the GM position, 2016, we had an offensive line that was arguably worse than what we had this past year. And in one season, one offseason, he fixed it. So... If anybody's pointing to our GM saying he got fired because of the offensive line, well, he's proven in his work record that in one offseason he can take one of the league-worst offensive lines and turn it around. Was the offensive line that bad, or was it Mariota that was that bad? I think it's both. <laughs> yeah, I we mean, had we Mariota got sacked on a two-man rush one time. <laughs> I just can't get over that fact. Before, like, I can't before get over that we fact. made the switch in Denver. I'm serious. Look it up, and you'll be like, I this is mind-blowing. It was a Hail Mary situation. He got sacked. Before we made the switch. Sorry. <laughs> Todd Garrett's dying. <laughs> Before we made the switch in Denver, we were on pace to set the NFL record for most sacks given up in a season. Before we made that switch, I think it was like week seven to, to Tannehill. And so it de- you're, to your point, it's it's definitely a two man. The offensive line has to block better, but the quarterback's got to get the ball out quicker and. and move in the pocket yeah it, it, eerily similar situation that season before john robinson took over we had and i'm going to butcher his last name patassi yeah jeremiah patassi third rounder from utah th- yeah third rounder is maybe you know athletically could be a guard we threw him out there at tackle against prime jj watt you're talking the exact same situations in terms of the deficiencies of our offensive line so so what happened he j rob clearly shows he can develop a really good offensive line. He clearly is willing to spend money on offensive linemen, but we, we're, we're looking at Isaiah Wilson. In my opinion, the biggest bust in NFL draft history. You can throw Tim Couch out there. All right, You can throw Jamarcus Russell out there. Those guys played football games. Isaiah Wilson got in four snaps in his career, fell asleep in meetings, 
and was doing raps in the middle of our season on a boat in Miami. He took, that is the biggest bust in NFL history. He took the money and run. Ryan Leaf. Ryan Leaf yeah. is up there, too. I think Ryan, Ryan Leaf was number one pick, right? How many snaps did Ryan Leaf play? He, played, he was a starting quarterback two years for the Chargers, wasn't he? I honestly don't know how, how much he actually played, but I just know that he was the number one overall pick. We're not okay. Well, <laughs> Robert, here's something to console you a little bit. John Robinson and his staff were not analytics guys. They didn't really believe in analytics, and we still aren't. Well, Vrabel isn't, but for we're all, the worst analytics team in the NFL. So, which which should give you a little bit of hope is that Rand Carthon is actually very heavily reliant on analytics to confirm projections on players. And Rand specifically is part of his duties, and a lot of this is not 100% clarified, and we should, we should ask our friend David Lombardi about this. But supposedly Rand was uh, in charge of the late rounds in the draft, rounds five, six, and seven. I've seen that, yeah. Uh, and that he's really responsible for a lot of that churn. So, you know, you have, to, you have to take a little bit of comfort in saying maybe finally the Titans organization can finally – adapt and adopt a little bit of analytics into some of their well, billion-dollar business. Ironically enough, we're not that bad in the late rounds. We were joking a couple weeks ago that we should bring J-Rob back on a consulting role and just make picks through you know rounds three through five. Well, So you're asking about Isaiah Wilson. Here's, here's my opinion of it. John Robinson and all of his scouts are old-school scouts. None of them embrace analytics. None of them use technology, and we hit COVID. And those guys weren't allowed to sit in a room and they weren't allowed to sit with the person. So their entire skill set was completely nullified. And they were like, here's an iPad. Tell me what players are there. So those guys were like, first of all, I'm not going to do the homework. Second of all, they don't know how to use the technology. So they're basically, they're, they're swinging with their eyes closed at that point. So that's why when you go back, you're like, man, 2018 draft, okay. 2019, gra- t- 2019 draft, all world. 2020 kind of sucks 2021 kind of sucks 2022 looking pretty good so it's like it seems pretty clear to me that you're like all right well there's got to be something to it for why there's like a big drop off okay last player was it j-rob or was it was it vrabel a.j brown uh i still think that's john robinson i don't i i really I this last draft is the only time that I've gone back and rewatched all the cutaway footage of Vrabel and uh, Robinson next to one another sitting in the draft room, and this is why I I don't buy that Amy and Vrabel didn't know about the AJ Brown trade because if you watch throughout all of those cutaways, they're they're peas in a pod. They're right next to one another. They're they're slapping. They're happy when we drafted Malik Willis. Uh, you know, Vrabel turns and gives John Robinson a big high five. John Robinson gives his we just won, you know, arm move. And, you know, it's like it's very clear that there's conversations happening inside of there. It's not just one person making decisions and the rest of the room finds out. So at, uh, you think it was a group decision at the end of the day? Uh, I, 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 would, I would say at that point that – they were probably more bummed about Corey Davis's trajectory, and it was a makeup second round. But I would say I would put it on John Robinson at that point. So, um, if you're Amy Adams, 
and you go to Philadelphia and you're watching the Philadelphia fans turn around and flick you off and laugh at you after AJ scores his first touchdown. And then a couple, maybe 30, 45 minutes later, you get another round of fans turning around and looking at you in the owner's box and flicking you off and laughing at you for A.J. Brown scoring a second touchdown. Do you make the decision to fire John Robinson on the Monday morning if you're Amy Adams when you get back to the facility? Yeah, it's you either she either made and this isn't more hot takes. Uh, it's either, you know, you make it so quickly hot in the moment or you call the guy into the office and get in an argument and he probably said something to his boss or something along those lines. It is so unprecedented in the NFL to fire GM midseason. And I guess this can segue into this whole thing. But before I do that, I want to touch on one thing of the AJ Brown trade. AJ Brown trade was not a short term trade. The AJ Brown trade was a long term financial decision. So in twenty twenty four, I hope we come back together when AJ Brown's cap hit is twenty seven million and Traylon Burks is two point four million and then we can have that real conversation as to who won the trade. Hundred percent. It's it's been very easy to look at the trade right now and everyone is like that's just the worst trade ever. Why would we ever do it? Which I've definitely said like I it is really hard seeing what AJ's doing right now, but you are completely right that it's a long term um it was a long term decision and God it's, it still hurts. It doesn't make it hurt any less. Oh yeah, in the short as of right now, but maybe in a couple years it might start to in the hurt short less. term it is a massive L. So you know, and it, it, this you know will bring this up several times with the injuries. Why does every player that has chronic injury history with the Titans go to another team and balls out and has Roger no Saffold? Roger Saffold. Conklin. Well, Conklin still has gotten hurt some, but yeah, but he's played. He's he's he played way more, and he's played well enough to get another contract. Another with contract. The um, AJ Adoree Jackson, uh, Adoree Jackson, that 2020 year where we lost to the, to the Ravens, Adoree was banged up the entire back and had to <laughs> just barely come that back was for the, the uh, Kyle Phillips year. Like what? What happened to him? The what year? Adoree Jackson. It's like what happened? No, to no, him? Adam Humphreys. Kyle Phillips was a rookie this year. I know. It's like what happened to him this year? Did he die? Oh, oh, Same you're thing saying happened it's with like Adoree. Kyle Phillips this year. You just disappeared. And a lot, I see what like, you're saying. Yeah, you're just like, what like, happened dude, to him? No, 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 hold on. <laughs> yeah, you're so two I, years apart there. <laughs> no, I just meant, yeah, he went off the grid and was like, what happened? He yeah. thought he was going to be back in like a week or two. I think regardless of the arguments that people made, I don't know how you can work with a company, i.e. be a football player working for an organization see an organization that cans the guy midseason, which is a pretty unprecedented move. I think the, the last time it happened was one of the – was it the Hugh Jackson-Browns team that won three games over two seasons the last time a GM was fired midseason. Um, so it's, it's, it's pretty shocking. And I don't know if you're a player who's starting to see the season turn. I don't know how – you just keep it going and don't suddenly have an extra week on your injury or something going on. Like my, my opinion is, and this is 100% speculation. This is a totally opinion is the second she fired John Robinson. She announced to everybody in the organization that we gave up that season and it's done. And we didn't win a game afterwards. Do you think we were planning on rebuilding this year anyway? 
I truly think based off of what we've now heard from Rand Carthon and him basically saying that we don't need to rebuild, we can go around Tanny, I wouldn't be surprised if Robinson saw the abysmal coaching failure against the Bengals in the playoffs last year and realized that there's no way. Because that's the best, in my opinion, that's the best roster that you could possibly put together and put on the field to give you a chance to win with how this team is done. And it didn't get it done. And again, it didn't get it done because Todd Downing was, I think, a horrible hire. And it's very, it's more concerning for me as a Titans fan to see Bengals players tweeting that they knew our plays and laughing at our offensive design. It's awful. Yeah, it still hurts. Than it is to see a, a player completely bungle. Because... From an organizational standpoint, there is no salary cap on coaches. So are you yeah. saying you're putting that more on Downing than you are Tannehill? Or you're saying it, it's I – th- I think it's on Tannehill. You're more upset with – I think it's on both of them. I'm more, yeah. I'm more upset with – Downing's calls than Tannehill's play. Well, I'm more upset that Vrabel actually gave that guy the job. Yeah. It, I, it was all – I the uh, – when I saw that when he took over the Raiders – Offensive when he was became Raiders offensive coordinator, and I saw that they dropped off like drastically. That was when I I think I found that out when we promoted him uh, after Arthur Smith, and I was like, okay, well that's not great. That's that oh, kind of no. scares me. Well, can I at least say this? Can we dodged a bullet because the Raiders promoted Todd Downing to offensive coordinator, and that resulted in the entire organization cleaning house, yeah. from GM to the entire <laughs> coaching staff. We got off pretty easy with four coaches and a GM because of Todd Downing. So I think I think in the end, that was a close call. Okay, so I want to get back to your philosophy question. All right. First, define in your words Vrabel's philosophy to winning in the NFL. I think I, I want to go back – to Mike Vrabel's introductory press conference. And one thing that he said that just cracks me up is he was trying to take a shot at Malarkey. And when he was trying to take a shot at Malarkey, he was like, we're not just going to keep running into eight and nine man boxes. And <laughs> it's just like, oh, Did that boy. a lot this year. <laughs> oh, boy. Have we done that a lot. Um, you know, and he keeps coming back and reiterating that, you know, he wants to play tough defense, he wants to run the ball, and he wants to minimize turnovers. And there's a part of me that really wonders. This is going to be another hot – this is another hot take. Um, I que- I question Mike Vrabel's ability to actually schematically design football teams. I think he is an amazing players coach. I think if he were inserted into like a game of Madden, some suddenly everybody's motivation would be plus eight in the <laughs> ratings. I think he understands and he gets the players' mentalities from the bodies and whatnot, but the defenses he coordinated with the Texans were horrible. The defense he coordinated with the Titans was horrible. And I truly, and this is another putting the pieces together, I think his whole identity and his whole thing was actually taken from LaFleur's pitch to be the Titans head's coach. Hmm. If you want to go back in time and you want to know why the Titans are the Titans here, before LaFleur came and was the offensive coordinator for the Titans, he worked under Sean McVay and the Rams in that 2017 season before, uh, before Mike Rabel came to the Titans. They went to the Super Bowl with Jared Goff, Todd Gurley, 
Robert Woods and Brandon Cooks. And they tried to do it on this, it would almost, if you really like, analyze the way that the team, like it's very eerily similar to how we are trying to structure our team. And guess what? They fell flat on their face. The only thing the Patriots had to do in that Super Bowl was shut down Todd Gurley, shut down the run, and they shut down the Rams. And now, as I'm saying those words, the only thing you have to do against the Titans is shut down Derrick Henry and shut down the run, and you shut down the Titans. LaFleur comes over to the Titans, and we've now con- we've just had this chain of still trying to do this. And the reality is the Rams won a Super Bowl last year because McVay completely dumped his own strategy, completely reinvented, and he adopted an entire new philosophy. They went out, they got Cooper Cup, they got Matt Stafford and, and Odell, and they, and they decided to very purposefully de-emphasize the running game and their, and their use of the run on first down completely changed in it. And if you're looking how teams are winning in the playoffs in the last Super Bowl winners, like the, this whole this, this old school mentality of defense and run the ball, it's not working. The last 100-yard rusher that was in the Super Bowl was a loser, and that was Marshawn Lynn's losing to the Patriots. Um, you look at the rushing stats of everybody for the last, like, 12 Super Bowl winners, it's clearly an efficient passing game and being able to keep the defense guessing on first down. And I think what we've seen in Todd Downing and Mike Frabel's last game, the Jaguars, on first down we ran 24 times and we passed four times. It's a, that was bad. That it was is hard to watch. So predictable. And if I, if me as a as a fan speaking on a microphone now, if you were to put me in a game against the Titans on first down, I would say, you know what, I, sell out against the run. I don't know. You know what? Because the your the tendencies are going to be that it's actually going to work. I mean, we're only fans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for me. That's the biggest thing when I talk about philosophy. And, and a lot of times people, if I say this to somebody, it gets misconstrued. Somebody's like, oh, you want us to be pass happy? No, I don't want us to be pass happy. I want us to be balanced and I want us to not be predictable. And the way that you do that is you change your philosophy on first down. And specifically right now, we're painfully bringing Derrick Henry out of the game on third and short. It's awful. And it's just like, you know, if you if we would just shift that idea around because right now they're they're gearing up they're like you know maybe even the Titans hell do the Titans think Derrick Henry's a two down back it's it's if it were to shift around so that on first down it's even a even a 60 40 split would be ideal in terms of run to pass but you have to at least keep them guessing, and hopefully what that would open and allow to do is you could at least have Derrick Henry on third and short. And, yeah, and you should be able to run and get a first down. But, sorry, rant, rant. So, how do you fix the offensive line? We touched on that. But tell me what you see. Who, who's somebody, Do we have any players in the offensive line that can be long-term fixes? We have one starter who – and that's MPF – um, who showed promise, has all the physical ability, is, uh, from my assessment, he is not a great zone blocker because he has really poor technique, um, gets repeatedly beat on inside move. I think that was posted. Or you, you posted a, a video of it. But to me, looking at it, it's hard for me to say that that's a guy and that's his ability as a rookie 
when yeah. it's like that's technique and that's got to be coaching. He's going I think he's do I think he's going to take a big leap next year. So I think he's he's probably your only starter. If you want me to lay out my GM plan. Yeah, you're Ray Car- Carthon, is it? Ran. 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 Ran Carthon. Like, like you ran outside like like he is the running back that I'm just back. saying that in a few years I hope we don't look back and think, wow, he ran this thing into the ground. <laughs> oh, man. I just had Go to say home. it. Go I had home. to say it. I am yeah. home. Go home. I am yes. home. <laughs> yes. Yeah, G- you're, so you're, you're GM. Who's our offensive line next year? The defense is largely intact, right? I don't think there's – well, yeah, I, I shouldn't say that. There are two massive signings that seem like they are destined to happen in re-signing Jeff Simmons and David Long. Yeah. I think that will happen. Um, so MPF for sure is your. Can I just say something real quick? If we don't re-sign Jeff Simmons, Big big Jeff, and David Long, I'm like, I'm at the point now with the Titans where I'm so frustrated with not re-signing Jack Conklin, not re-signing Adoree Jackson, getting rid of Corey Davis, getting rid of Johnu Smith, getting rid of Roger Saffold, getting rid of AJ Brown. How many good players are we going to let go? You can't win the Super Bowl without good players. All right, good. Can I make one one counterpoint? Of course, of course. What do Jack Conklin, A.J. Brown, Adoree Jackson, um, Roger Saffold, and I'm trying to think of, of somebody else, and Corey Davis all have in common? These are all – I'll give you one thing they all have in common. Injuries. Exactly, with the, as the Titans. And now – what happened when they all went to a different team? Corey, well, I, Corey Davis has been hurt. Corey Davis has been hurt. Adore Jackson has been hurt. You could argue Jack Conklin's been hurt as well. But we said earlier how he still was good enough to get another contract. But, yes, they go other play. I mean, Saffold's almost the most baffling one. Yeah, he's a year older. I, I will say. with the boys. They said and it, weren't the Giants very frustrated with Adore the first year, though? I think he had a and lot he, of injuries. He, so, that was a – He's been hurt for, like – Six weeks and just came back for the playoff game, but and I'm not even like I just am sick of us trading our good, getting rid of our good players, and it's just like a I I don't really even care how they do anywhere else. I'm just like at some point, Amy, you got to spend the money on your good players, okay? So now go ahead, we can. That was a little segue, but go ahead. How do we fix the O line? And is is I wanted to ask as well is Nate Davis part of that too? I don't know. if you're forgetting about Nate Davis or we're not going to sign him or what? I One thing I want to say is, Robert, I feel like you're kind of picking and choosing here because I think Amy has literally paid Tannehill, Derrick Henry, Lawan, Ben Jones, Amani Hooker, yeah, Byer, Byer. Zach well, Cunningham. Amani, is Amani still on his rookie deal? Danico Autry, Harold Landry. I mean, okay, she's but still those aren't – if we have learned anything – but, okay, but the Super going Bowl into winning, it, Tannehill, Derek, Harold Landry, Bayard, Amani Hooker, those players right there are like core players. Agreed. We have signed some players, but we are getting rid of our best players. We're getting rid of really, really like top five players every year, it seems like. Yeah. And I understand in the NFL there's a salary cap, but we've talked about this before. Is the salary cap real? <laughs> I don't know. It seems like some teams have endless amounts of money. And we abide by these rules that we force upon ourselves, and so then we can't sign AJ Brown, and he goes off and has an all-world season. So, it, it, I, please resign Jeffrey Simmons. For goodness gracious, resign the man. I he, think, he's the best defensive lineman we've had since Albert Hainsworth. Yeah, 
I think I think he's a core Titans. And then here's another super hot take for you guys. If if it just so happens that we do have to go out and find our QB of the future next year, Jeffrey Simmons is our trade bait. Yeah, that's that's I've actually talked with a friend about that, and that that I think that's what. So you're saying it's me. not Josh Dobbs? <laughs> I think that's what scares me the most about Jeffrey Simmons. It's not that we wouldn't re-sign him. It's that we see him as more valuable as a trade piece than re-signing and a Titan for life. Well, I, I 100% think he, he should be a Titan for life just because he he and Bayard, to me, over this past season were definitely the defensive MVPs. Bayard because he played. And not only did he play, he stepped up when he needed they to. They both, I think, were the only players that played almost every game. I know. I mean, and Simmons sat a little bit, but I wish Simmons, forcefully so. I wish going back to that Eagles game, we would have done the Cowboys plan, and I was begging for it because it was a meaningless NFC game. I was like, sit all your hurt guys for this game. Why are you trying to get up for this one? All you needed to do from that point forward was win one AFC game, and we didn't. We didn't win a single game after it. So it was it's pretty frustrating to watch that happen and and of course we don't need to relive the events of what happened after that game knowing that we had no business of really trying to compete in it yeah and you saw Fulton go down with a groin injury after getting literally run over by AJ and then that pretty much ruined Christian Fulton's season um yep okay so Nate Davis do you resign him I'm gonna raise you with a number of things. Okay. I don't think you signed Nate Davis because I think you upgrade. Is the upgrade on the roster? No. Oh. Who's, who, we up, who are we upgrading? <laughs> who are we upgrading free agency? We are going to free agency. Any Anybody in mind? Um, I – Is uh, it the Browns guy, Batonio? Pochich. Pochich, is that his name? Pochich? Oh, I don't I know. Can't, I can't pronounce I can't pronounce it. Yeah, yeah, I know – I, I don't know who he plays. I think he plays. Yeah, there's a ton a of O-line that are free agents this year. There is. So let's look at the bright spots on the O-line. First of all, we could, we could talk 30 minutes on how I think the coach is completely bungled. I want to hear that. Give me give me five. <laughs> give me five. Uh, all right. So let's, let's go back into it. Uh, in preseason, the coaches – in training camp in preseason – the, the coaches did everything that they possibly could to keep Dylan Radins from playing left tackle. They literally tried to play him in almost every position other than center, then putting him in left tackle. And it turns out he's a backup left tackle, and he definitely should have been playing over Daly. Daly, turns out, should have never been a tackle. He's a guard. And you know what the sad thing is? I, he probably could have been a serviceable backup guard, and he probably would have been re-signed with this team, but... I don't know that there's too much PTSD in Daly at this point so that he can come back. But the two biggest bright spots, I think, were Corey Levin and Jordan Roos. Corey Levin stepped up, and it turns out that he should have been the backup center, not Aaron Brewer, the entire time. And Jordan Roos, I think, played really admirably in, uh, in the right guard spot. So I specifically think when it comes to Nate Davis – I look at it and what he's estimated like seven point five million, eight million, somewhere around there. Maybe he takes a home t- hometown discount. I just look at it as a offensive line that's most likely going to have two rookies starting on it. I don't know that 
Nate Davis for a bargain of saving three million versus another guy is worth keeping him on because it's very clear we're going to have a whole new system, whole new coach, whole new line. So there's not really – you could argue that there's continuity with MPF at that point, sure, and, 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 and I'll buy that. And then I would also buy that he's Nate Davis if he does sign. A little bit of a hometown deal will be cheaper than some of the other free agent options. Just look at it as an opportunity to – we're only going to spend on one position most likely. I think whoever it is that you sign in free agency – think you need to make sure that they're not break the bank top free agent but i think you can actually upgrade in that slot with a couple of the other moves interesting yeah i i keep going back and forth on nate davis i'm not sure what about lawan no nah, lawan's gone even if he says listen i mr nashville want to stay here my family's here i'll do it what is he what was he making this year 14 let's say he'll do it for seven something like no that. way no way at seven Three okay. or less, and Luan can, can be on the team. Wow. He's, he's coming off of an ACL week two. He's, he will probably technically be ready to go, just like Robert Woods was ready to go, but he's not going to be hitting his peak. Um, if anything, you want a contingency plan that is ready for the first half of the season because Raidens will probably be healing up and fill that same slot later on in the season, like by – week 10 or something along those lines so do you think we go ta- left tackle at 11 oh yeah in the draft so you got a rookie left tackle aaron brewer see your starting left guard it, aaron brewer should have never been a starting offensive lineman in the first place and i think it was a little bit of teacher's pet that was happening for him in a loaded <laughs> camp competition duh and then does ben jones retire Ben Jones, and so you roll with Corey Levin as your center. I'd, I Corey Levin is the one person that I would elevate to a starting role to to balance out um, getting uh, a better right guard. And so then you get a right guard in free agency, and then who's your left guard? Left guard is also going to be draft for me. Okay, so you're going to go two rookies on the left side of the O line. I'm going to go if I had my druthers. First and second round is the left side of the of the O line. And where does Raiden slot in? He's your swing tackle. Well, Raiden's uh, honestly you have to write him off the entire year. He went down and he went down in week ten or what was it week thirteen? He went down in week thirteen. So he oh, can't. he tore his ACL. Yeah. Did you know he tore his ACL? We've had so many injuries; it's hard to keep track of. <laughs> so hard to keep track. <laughs> so that's the thing, Raiden's. No matter what, and this is this is what's even harder about the coaches bungling how they dealt with the O line. You don't even know for not this season. You have to write him off for this season, and if he if he comes on later, then it's a bonus. But on the last year, his fourth year of his contract, you still have a question mark of <laughs> what <laughs> the guy goes into the fourth year of his contract. You don't even know if he can play the position that he played because. You gave him one game in uh, against one of the league's best defensive lines in the 49ers and an absolute and our defensive player of the year, Bosa, and he did okay. I don't, I'm not expecting him to like stonewall. And if he did at that point, then and they didn't play him as a left tackle and he wasn't you know competing at that point, it would just be malpractice. But I don't know. It's mad to me that we're going to go into his fourth year and still be like, I don't know. What is he? What is, what, you know, what someone else can have him. I, I, we're I'm very, good. we as a podcast, at least Pettit and I feel like we know who Raiden's is. I, I, saw I know there's, I saw him in his rookie preseason games. That's all I needed to see. 
I know pancake. I know there's more hope. I I know you have a little bit more hope for Raiden's Michael, but I I will be pleasantly surprised if he. He already has pleasantly surprised me. He hasn't done anything. (laughs) I know. No, it's it's a pleasant surprise. Ever since Joe Tryon, who was also a rookie, but just destroyed him in that preseason game you've just been so out on Raiden so out on him yeah oh my gosh no, but he's been a pleasant surprise I mean he's he's gotten on the field and I think other than <laughs> other than the Packers game I think the best drive of the season that I've seen Tannehill have where he actually like went to multiple reads was when Raiden's was in the game against the Chargers if you go that's back right and, Chargers if, game that's when he got hurt when you what go about? back and rewatch that entire drive you're like it's and maybe it was it really was just that Daly was out and they were like, Oh my god, this is like a totally difference. But if you watch Tannehill in particular, like it's a totally different deal. Yeah. And that's that's my biggest thing for, for me and going back to the forty ers game that is that can give some hope that you probably should have at least found out what you had in this guy that you spent a second round pick on. What do you, what do you think about and this is kind of off topic from the O line, but um when Tannehill had Arthur Smith to when he had Todd Downing, Tannehill physically looked very different from Arthur Smith to Todd Downing in comfortability in the pocket. And I think that – I don't know if you – I mean, we talked about that whole 2021 season where I was like, Tannehill does not look like himself. He does not seem comfortable with any of the plays. He's not making the same reads he was making. Is that all Is that all Todd Downing? I mean – Or is that Tannehill? I think you already answered the question. <laughs> I know. I think I I think it's a little well it's so hard to say because arguably 2020 was the best that our offense performed and it was our defense that really let us down. But even in 2020 it wasn't like we still had Jack Conklin, you know, steamrolling people. There were there were still issues. I I think it was a noticeable for me in 2021 from when Todd Downey took over. There was a lot of dysfunction. I think you're seeing way too many wide receivers having, you know, the, the, the dreaded announcer says miscommunications on the field. That just kept happening in 2021. And it's just like I see too much evidence that the offense and the, peop- and the, the players just either weren't playing to their strengths and the entire offensive, you know, productivity was an, was an uphill battle. Is Ryan Tannehill capable of winning a Super Bowl with the Tennessee Titans? I'm, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to answer this with a comma, and then I'll then I'll go after that. Yes, but only if Mike Vrabel completely goes hands off with the offense, and we actually bring in a modern NFL offense. Now I can't wait to see who we hire. <laughs> it's honestly, yeah, the OC hire is going to be massive. I mean, you know, we we got the GM first. We've got our guy there. Now move on to the offensive coordinator role. Got to figure that out. That's massive now. And I think, I mean, I'm with you. I think there is a little bit of modern offense we need to incorporate uh, in order to really change stuff up but um yeah i don't know it's it's uh we've got a lot of decisions to make 
this offseason. I'm just glad I'm I'm not the one making them. Well, I think so. Our deficiencies this past year that were easy to identify were offensive line and then say wide receiver. I think wide receiver more than any other group was uh, one. It was definitely injury related, and, and the only reason I say that over the offensive line is because I actually think our wide receivers. There is talent there if Kyle Phillips actually stayed healthy, if Traylon Burke stayed healthy, that it wouldn't have been a talent deficiency. I do think the offensive line, we were, we threw all of our eggs into the Luan basket and he, he got injured, and that's that is what it was, um, and we probably were thinking that Questenberry was gone, that then just MPF going in there. You know, you're probably thinking that your your biggest issue was solved at that, but. I don't know. Aaron Brewer isn't the guy either. Um, ben Jones, who is usually your – I mean, he's he's usually the guy that's never injured, was injured this year. Nate Davis was injured this year. So looking at – the whole reason I'm making that point is this year the goals are fix the wide receivers and fix the offensive line, right? I think it's actually just fix the offensive line because I think the wide receivers, I there's more – low dollar free agents that we can pad our deck with Mikol Hardman uh, basically all the speed guys that are cheap DJ chart see it's DJ is going to be expensive though DJ is probably still going to be a 10 million dollar guy I I so think do we keep Robert Woods no I think Robert Woods is gone I think it's going to be Burks uh Kyle Phillips they'll they'll keep racing McMath uh Reggie Robertson will finally be healed and he'll be another speed guy Cody Hollister uh <laughs> God no. We're I, we have yet to win a football game with Cody Hollister on the IR. Ah man. Is Maybe. he the secret weapon? Is is he I wide, hope not. Is he wide receiver one? <laughs> is he wide receiver one? Is he impact winning? I wish and he's already the the guy that I would truly want that used to be thought about that he could slip into the third, but now it's not even a hope was the tight end from Georgia, Darnell Wright. That's so basically your offensive so line. Darnell Washington. Yeah, yeah, Darnell Washington. Darnell Washington. Sorry. Yeah. Um, offensive line for me, the entire left side are going to be rookies. But I think you're whether it's Paris Johnson or Broderick Drone Jones, I, I don't, I don't think it's going to be. I think they're day one starter. Round two, if he falls, Andrew Voorhees from USC. Uh, I don't know that he'll make it there, but if he does, I think you instantly pull the trigger because he's also your backup left tackle situation uh, being a left tackle from USC and spending that kind of investment should warrant being able to roll with the left side of your line but then you have to get probably the best in-line tight end also somewhere in the draft whether it's round three or round five wherever that falls and I thought Darnell would be it but it looks like Darnell's gonna go way or way, yeah. way earlier um, is <coughs> if you have the option to trade Jeffrey Simmons and a handful of first round and second round picks for either Bryce Young or CJ Stroud. Do you take it? Nope. But I do it next year for yeah. Drake May. Okay. All right. So you're kind of looking at next year's rebuilding year too. If you're starting two guy two rookies on the left side of the line. I just don't see with all of the all in moves made by John uh, J Rob this past year. I don't see in the fact that you know he famously was crying at the combine or whatever afterwards i don't see how in in his mind last year wasn't an all-in 
like going for broke chips to the center of the table. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen here. And knowing that, I just can't imagine this past season that we just endured was anything other than a soft rebuild where, you know, hopefully you're going to compete in a weak division. You'll probably win that division. You'll probably make the playoffs. You just know you're not going to win the Super Bowl. And all you're doing is structuring everything for your next window with your core. And it's very clear when you look at our contracts and the way that everything's set up that 2024 is that year. It's like, well, we have 100 mil in cap space and we're suddenly free of the Tannehill contract. And the Tannehill contract is easily workable. We don't have to sit on the cap numbers as they are this year. As long as you've committed to the notion that he's going to play for the Titans this upcoming 2023 season, the cap is, you can structure it however it is you want rolling some dead money into 2024 when you have a ton of space and and then you can write them off if you want do you think derrick henry is part of the next window man he, he would have to it would be an outlier if he is that is you guys were talking about titans for life earlier that there is he's the one man on the team that i am most hoping is a titan for life i don't think i could bear to see him in another jersey I think I could stomach Bayard. I could stomach Couldn't Jeff. Bears to see him in another jersey. <laughs> Sorry. The thing Bad about joke. like back then when Steve McNair and Eddie George and them went to different teams, you know. I know. I I want and correct me if I'm wrong, but do we have any like top tier Ring of Honor Titans, Tennessee Titans, not Oilers, who never played for another team? Can you think of one? I could be wrong. Frank Wycheck. Did he play for another team? Didn't he come from the Steelers? Yeah, I think he played maybe for another team for like one or two years. But I, I, can't, think, yeah. I can't think of anybody. I, mean, I know you got like the Bruce Matthews, Keith but he Bullock. was Oilers. You got um, Keith Bullock. Keith Bullock. You got Michael Roos. But like I'm talking about like a skill player, like an elite guy who – Keith Bullock we even went to the Giants. That's right. That's yeah. right. He did. He's, he wasn't oh. even a Titan for life. So, I just, I don't know. I, I God, I can't. I don't even like his last year. Amy, pay the man. Give him. I don't care. Pay him what it takes to keep Derrick Henry and make him a Titan for life. Well, he is. He has done everything for this franchise. The short. The short answer to your question is yes. There is currently. It's not a skill player, but it's Taylor Lewan. Now the question is, will he retire or will he go on? Who knows? Yeah, that's. Yeah, I was. I was thinking Taylor Lewan, but. Man, I don't know. We we covered a lot there and got into a ton and I I'm just saying the takes were flowing. <laughs> it was they were God, is it hot in here guys? Yeah. Jeez. But they're they were great. I loved all the opinions, all the thoughts. I it's a really hard question like asking you what we're going to do moving forward like that really is a, a tough question. And uh, you definitely, you had your answer. You knew what we wanted to do. But um, I think, uh, do any of y'all want to say something? Michael, thanks a lot for being on. This is incredible. Uh, Robert, did you have anything else? No? Okay. Um, Yeah, I think think that that was a a great inaugural OnlyFans episode, (laughs) OnlyFans series. And just remember out there, we're OnlyFans. Okay, we're OnlyFans. And if you want to come on the OnlyFans segment with the Primetime <laughs> Titans, 
shoot us a text or DM us if we don't know you. I know I've had uh, a guy in my cohort, uh, a student buddy of mine, Stuart. Shout out Stuart wants to come on. Stuart. This is uh this is a this is a spring and summer. I guess it's winter right now. The entire off season, we're going to be doing different segments. Uh, calling it OnlyFans. So if you want to be one of the OnlyFans of the Primetime Titans, come be an OnlyFans. Come be on OnlyFans. We're gonna we're gonna ask you questions. Feel free. The hottest of takes are welcome here. Um, do not be intimidated by Michael's well-researched thoughts. You can have no research and come on our podcast and and give your takes. You can be a Titans fan for thirty minutes and come on our and as long as you're a fan now and come on our podcast. So. Um, we welcome all, and uh, we're excited about the off season. So, I think that's it for us. Um, so yeah, I think that's it. Michael, thanks again. Thank I'm you, JG. I'm Pettit. And I'm Robert. When I was Thank just a baby, my mama told me, "Son, always be a good boy. Don't ever play with guns." But I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. When I hear that whistle blowing, I hang my head and